You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Wow, it's literally a week today from Christmas Day. Yeah, anyone excited? Anyone excited about this? Yeah, a few people. Yeah, that's great. Some of us here, though, how many of us, though, even though we're excited, how many of us are already sorted for everything now? Already, yeah? Oh, okay, a few hands. You're already got everything going. That's great. How many of us are going to try and somehow get to it next week? Okay, that's, that's the majority of the room. No problem. I'm kind of in between at the moment. Um, still got a few bits to do, but kind of there as well. It's also been looking very festive, hasn't it, around the nation? There's been snow and been frosty. I don't know about you, but it's been a bit cold, yeah? Anyone else felt that? You know, because of the cold, I don't know if you have these discussions in your household, there can be a debate as to how high the central heating should be, yeah? Because of energy prices as well, you know, everyone's thinking, aren't they? Okay, see, me and my wife, we had different opinions. I said, look, it's about 18 degrees. If it goes below that, then it should come up. She was like, no, no, it's got to be 20 degrees. And we just couldn't agree. You know, it was a heated discussion. That's all I'll say. Sorry. I'm a dad. I, look, I do dad jokes. That's what I do. That's what I do now. <laughs> Great. I've got this one more thing I want to show you, which is kind of in line with what I'm going to be speaking about today. Someone sent me this. I thought it was quite funny. And it says, isn't it great to see Mary playing the keyboard and Joseph on vocals this Christmas? <laughs> I thought it was funny anyway, and it was sent to me. I thought it was good. But isn't it great to see this Christmas stamp showing something of the nativity as well? Well, anyway, I'll move us on from jokes. Really, really excited to be preaching today. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn with me to Matthew 1, chapter, uh, 1 verse 18. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1, the first book in the New Testament, and I'm going to be reading Matthew's account about the birth of Jesus, and it goes, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. And this is the word of the Lord. And we can say thanks be to God. Now, hopefully this is quite a well-known passage to all of us. And uh, today I'm going to share a few thoughts around the person of Joseph. Around Joseph. And uh, I'm not sure if you've ever picked up on this before, but Joseph is never actually quoted as saying anything in the Gospels. 
He actually doesn't say anything. And uh, that was a bit of a shock to me because in my early memories of Christmas, of when I was six years old, I remember being in my Christmas nativity play in primary school. That's a long time ago now. Like, over 30 years ago. Wow. And I was in uh, my Christmas nativity play, and I played an innkeeper. And uh, to make me look Middle Eastern, obviously what you do is you put a tea towel on someone's head and just put a little rope around it, and there, there, therefore you look like someone who's from Israel. So that was my costume. And I was playing the role as an innkeeper, and I had this interaction with Joseph, where he came to me and he said, can we stay with you? And I said the horrible words, no, you can't. And interestingly, it's only when I became a Christian later on in life that I realized that Joseph doesn't actually say anything in the Gospels, and I don't think there's actually an innkeeper, really. <laughs> so it's just interesting, all these things you learn. But even though Joseph is never quoted as saying anything, I think it's interesting, though, what our passage has to say about him. So if we look at verse 19 of our text, we're going to come up on the screen again. This is what it says. It says, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. You see, Joseph, interestingly, is described as a righteous man. You know, when someone is described in that way, it kind of gets my attention. I don't know about you, but I might think, what, what does that mean? He was a righteous man. Well, what it means is, if we're looking at what that word actually means in its original, it's this general idea of somebody, of someone who tries to live by the ways of God. Someone who is doing well at applying the law of God to their lives and doing things in the way that God wants them to. Or another way of putting it is this, is, which is another translation of this text. Joseph was a just man, someone who acts justly. So they apply the rules and the ways of God, his laws, justly in the right way. To give you another example of what it might look like, you know, a headmaster who is just with his students, he applies the rules fairly, yeah? He doesn't then bend them for favorites. He applies them in a fair way. Now, it's important to say that when we talk about being righteous or righteousness, I want to be very clear about this. All righteousness is fully fulfilled ultimately in Jesus. Yet yeah, no one can compare to him. He is the one that we look to, the person of Christ. But I believe in this text that we're reading today, Joseph gives us a taste of what it means to be righteous. We're given a foreshadow of what this means. And I think a clue as to why Joseph is described in this way is in the detail that it says this. It says that he did not want to disgrace Mary publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. Now, the issue here is that Mary is betrothed to be engaged or married to Joseph. She's engaged to Joseph. You know, she's going to marry him which in those days was as good as being married. If you were engaged or pledged to be married to someone, it basically meant everyone saw you as a couple already. It was already sorted, like you are going to get married, everyone is aware of it, the engagement is made public. But as we know in the text, as this is happening, Mary becomes pregnant. She is pregnant and we know why she is pregnant, but at the beginning of this narrative, it seems that Joseph isn't actually in the loop, yeah? He isn't in the WhatsApp group yet. He's not been invited. He doesn't know what's going on at this moment. And so according to the law, if we're looking at this, imagine you're standing in Joseph's shoes, right? Imagine this. According to the law, from Joseph's perspective, he's potentially been betrayed. 
He's thinking, okay, okay, what's going on here? Um, It's got nothing to do with me, but there's something here that is a little bit untoward. And if he is declared as someone who is righteous, then the righteous thing to do is live by the ways of God, apply the law. Now, Deuteronomy 22 says this in the Old Testament, and I believe Joseph would have probably have known this as well. It says, if a virgin who is engaged to be married meets another man and commits adultery, the two of them are to be stoned. Basically, to be publicly exposed or to go on trial and then to potentially to be stoned by the ways of the law. That's what it says. And therefore, the righteous thing to do from Joseph's perspective, potentially, is to say, well, look, something has gone on here which is not great for me. I feel I've been betrayed and I need to remedy this. And in a sense, according to the law, Joseph would be justified. He'd be allowed to say, yeah, yeah, you you have this option available to you. He's saying, look, I can't be in this marriage because there's something here that has happened and I don't think it would be right and it isn't my fault and I need people to know this as well. But Matthew maintains this opinion in our text. He says this, he says that Joseph was a just man or a righteous man, yet he didn't apply the law as it could have been there in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 22, which is interesting. He instead chose to divorce Mary quietly using another option of the law that was available to him. I'm going somewhere with this, just keep with me. You see, what I think that Matthew is trying to say is that because Joseph chose a different way or a certain path, that is why he is righteous. That is why we can say or declare he he is righteous. You see, Joseph chose a path that not only upheld the requirements of the law, but upheld the spirit of the law as well. That upheld something of the spirit of the law, a path showing that it is also important that when we try to apply the law or the ways of God, it is important to also include grace. It is important to show grace in how we do that. As well as doing what is lawfully right, grace is also really important. So in Matthew 23, 23, as I said, Jesus is our ultimate example of righteousness. Everyone agrees with that, yeah? He is our ultimate example. And in Matthew 23, 23, Jesus is confronting the Pharisees and the scribes, who, by the way, they consider themselves to be righteous. They, they thought they were the top dogs at this life. If anyone's righteous, it's us, yeah? We are the standard that everyone needs to get to. And when it comes to righteousness, they're saying, look, we are it. In this amazing speech, though, by Jesus, this is what he says to them in, in this verse. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. And what Jesus is trying to say to these guys is, look, yeah, you're great at doing things according to the law. You even tithe your spices, yeah? You're really good at doing those things. You know, if you had 10 pairs of socks, you'd put the 10th pair in the offering basket. That's how committed you are. You know, by the way, just don't do that. Just, just, that a, just, just to say, there are other places you can put them. Don't put them in the offering pot. But that's what he's saying is that you, you tithe brilliantly. You do great on these things. You look the part. You look like that you're righteous. But where is your measure of grace? Where is your measure of mercy and justice and faithfulness? Where are you on these things? Because he's calling them out because he believes that basically they're being hypocritical. 
And also, John 1 says this, doesn't it? When we've, we've already heard about it at the beginning of our service today. John chapter 1 talks about the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. What an amazing statement that is. Even to this day, it's still the most amazing statement I've ever heard, I think. Some people call it the grand miracle. I, I don't think I can disagree with it. What an amazing thing. But it says this about Jesus in that same passage. It says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus calls us to a higher standard of the law, a higher standard of living, higher standard even than the Pharisees. Jesus even said that. He says, unless your righteousness, that word again, righteous righteousness, exceeds that of the Pharisees, then you have no place in the kingdom of God. That's basically what he said. I'm paraphrasing it slightly. And whilst it's correct that we do need to do the right thing, I want to be very clear about this. At the same time, being righteous is never void of grace. Yeah? It has to include grace. Are you with me on that one? It has to include grace. You see, grace and truth calls us to a higher ethical standard of living, to live in the right way, to apply the ways of God, but never void of grace, never not including compassion for people, loving them, showing them a different way. And I would just want to clarify as well that it's through the work of the Holy Spirit that we're able to live this out. Through the work of the Spirit, the Spirit helps us to quicken the Word of God to our hearts. It's written on our hearts, and it's through His Spirit that we're able to live in this way, to live by upholding grace as well as truth. And if we go back to our situation here in this passage, you see, I believe that Joseph's decision to divorce Mary quietly and apply a more gracious application of the law showed something of his heart showed something of what it looks like to be righteous, a foreshadow of what righteousness looks like, and also is unpacked further in, in Matthew's gospel. And I believe he showed a different type of righteousness which is inspiring for us today, or a different type of justice in how he dealt with that situation. And so if you want a title for today, my title is Just Like Joseph. Just Like Joseph. So I've got three things I want to share with you today, which will hopefully encourage you. And uh, the first thing I want to say is this. We should be just like Joseph because we don't always know everyone's story. Because we don't always know everyone's story. See, this passage is a reminder that, you know, we can easily at times judge people, treat them in a certain way, and believe that we should do things in response to them in a certain way because of what they have done or when they cross us. But most times, if we're being real with ourselves, it doesn't always tell the full story of what's going on. It doesn't always tell the full story. Now, to be clear, I do believe that we should look to enforce our rights. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have rights. I know, especially in the law of the land that we live in, it's okay to have rights and uphold them and live by them. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that at times. But the challenge is, for us today is to say not to assume though that when we're doing that that it's always the right thing even though we have rights to do things it doesn't always mean it's the right thing to do even though we have the rights to do things it doesn't always mean it's the right thing to do you know it's so easy at times i don't know if you've been there it's so easy to be so consumed with your own issue of injustice or being wronged, or feeling something has gone against you, that all you think about is how can I get this remedied, 
and you don't think about the bigger picture. Anyone been there before? You can be so consumed with what you're going through that you don't see the bigger picture of what might be going on. And even in my own life, I, I say it openly. God is growing me in learning how to apply what is right, but to also apply, apply grace and do what is right by people at the same time, not just doing what is right by me, but always continually challenging me on that. When I've been wronged or when I see situations that are wrong, always continually challenging me to be more like Jesus, having grace and truth. See, one of the things that can get under my skin sometimes, I don't know if, you, if you've been there as well, is bad customer service. Yeah, some of you are just laughing because maybe, maybe you know what I'm talking about. Bad customer service. I don't know what it is, but sometimes it just riles me a little bit. Probably because I used to be a lawyer. And you know, when I'm wronged or my rights have been wronged, the lawyer can rise up in me and go, you've been wronged, you, you shouldn't do that. The law says this, and I want to take everyone to court. Let me take you to my playing field. Let's see who's right and wrong. That's what we're doing in response generally. I want to do that, but sometimes I have to check myself and say, is this actually the right thing to do? Am I considering everything which is going on? I remember a few months ago, me and my family, we went for a pub lunch a few months ago to this pub. Can't remember where it was, in Coventry now. And uh, we went to this pub, we booked it, me and a few of my extended members, cousins as well. We booked this place and uh, we walked in and straight away I was like, oh, I'm not sure. And we walked in, sat down, um, ordered some drinks, ordered our food, paid everything. Service wasn't great. And we sat down. Our food came, and the waitress came over. And she kind of was, she wasn't nasty, but just very, very serious and said, burger, burger, chips, chip, okay, great, thank you. And then walked off. And I just let it go, you know, let it go. And then literally within five minutes, five minutes or so, she comes back up to us and goes, can I clear any plates? And I was like, um, not, not, not really. Just got going, really. Or actually, we haven't even had some of our other orders. Um, maybe come back when that's come, and then come back in about 20 minutes. And she went, okay, and then walked off. So I'm thinking, it's not, okay, okay, okay. I'll let that go, I'll let that go. Then about two minutes later, she comes back again. Can I clear any plates? And I said, we, we all said, not, not really. Um, we're still not even halfway through. Could you, could you maybe come back a bit later? And she went, okay, and then walked off. Now, by this time, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm like, oh. And I'm, me and my family, we're talking. We're not being nasty or rude. We're just like, oh, my goodness. It's like, why have we come here? You know, we should have known as soon as we walked in, just a ghost. We should have just, should have just played it safe, gone to Nando's, you know? You know what you're going to get. You know the type of service. But we were there, and, and I was like, oh, my goodness. And, and we're, we're all there. And my sister, bless her soul, she's the only one that's not getting involved in our discussion about feeling aggrieved a little bit. And uh, she then pipes up and says this one thing. My sister used to be a teacher. And uh, she goes, guys, 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 I, I just want to say something. She says, you know, our waitress... I'm pretty sure she's got learning difficulties. I know. And I was like, oh, I was like, you sure? She goes, it's not obvious, but I can see it. I can see it. And then we're like, oh, straight away, the spirit changes on the table. 
We're like, oh gosh, I can't believe it. Oh my goodness. It's like, oh wow, okay, okay, that's fine, that's fine. And literally about a minute after that, the same waitress comes over and she goes, everything all right? And we went, yes, everything is amazing. Woo, take my plate, take it. And we didn't really do it that, that, that big, but we did show her a very positive response. And you see, the, the point is this. What I didn't realize is that in her own way, I didn't see it. She was probably doing the best she could do. And I needed, we all needed in some way to show a bit more grace, a bit more understanding. You know, a little bit of advice I'll just give to you, which has been good for me, as your first response if in doubt, show grace. Show love. As your first response, someone once said this to me. See, some things can get really under my skin very easily. And someone said this, and I really, I really, I really think it was really helpful for me. Learn to have a soft heart and tough skin. Have a soft heart and tough skin, but don't get it the wrong way around. Yeah? Now, I'm not saying in that be robots, that nothing affects you, but if you have a soft heart, then you will be receptive and you will have emotions. You won't be a, a robot, but just to learn to not let things get under your skin so quickly that you forget that there are people involved here and that there are other things at play potentially. Now, I believe that Joseph's response not to expose Mary, even though he couldn't see the full picture, was a great, is a great reminder for us to show grace first to show a different way from what everyone else maybe would want you to do, but to do something different. Secondly, we need to be just like Joseph because compassion is more important than reputation. See, Joseph was part of a culture where honor was huge. Reputation was huge. There was a, such a big honor culture around him. Even the Pharisees, they embody that as well when you think about it. And the reputation of the family and how people perceived you was so important. Now, the path he chose was a righteous one, but it wasn't necessarily the most self-serving one. It was a righteous one, but not the most self-serving one. To give you a bit of a background, you see, in choosing the option to divorce Mary quietly meant that Joseph would have had to have issued her a private writ of divorce, saying, look, you know, I, I don't want to be in this anymore, which would have stipulated those conditions. And it wouldn't be in public, as we said, it wouldn't be in public, it wouldn't be in court, it would be all under wraps, and that would be done between the two of them. And But because it was in private, the reasons for the failure of the engagement or the marriage would not be made public. So basically, no one would know what had happened. No one would know what was going on. And so what this meant is that Joseph's own reputation could potentially be damaged. By choosing the option he did, it means his own reputation can potentially be damaged because he risked people gossiping about him in the community, something like this, you know, oh, did you hear? Joseph and Mary, the engagement's off. Oh, I wonder what happened there. Did there's something wrong with Joseph, potentially? Carpenters are a bit dodgy these days. If you're a carpenter, I don't mean anything, this is just hypothetical. Oh, oh yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe, well, apparently he gave her the writ, well, it must have been him. Oh, gosh, what are his family going to think? What are they going to do? Oh, my goodness, there's no, they're not going to get married. They were just as good as getting married. You see, there was a shame culture around them that would have existed and would have put pressure, especially on Joseph, to do what would have been righteous. 
But what's amazing is that Joseph, from what I can see, he was willing to embrace the disgrace for Mary's sake well. He was willing to embrace the disgrace for her. You can't see it automatically in the text, but it's there. Even though another option was available to him to clear his name, he chose another way. I like what Lawrence Richards said in his commentary on Matthew. He said this, he says, we can only imagine the anger and hurt Joseph must have felt, but we can surely admire this man of character and compassion, who although seemingly betrayed, still put Mary's needs and reputation before his own. See, I myself, I've, I've been brought up as well in a culture where honor is huge. Reputation is everything. I'm from an Indian Punjabi culture. Reputation, honor is huge. I don't know, there might be some others who are aware of those types of cultures in this room as well. And I've been in places where you have to live by a certain standard or behavior in order to be, to be seen as pleasing in the community, in order to have been seen as being honored. You know, people's reputation and honor in the community is really huge. I've been part of that before. I've been part of those, those places. And I know where there are some places where parents' expectations can sometimes, not everyone, but parents' expectations can sometimes come above their children's happiness. It goes above their happiness and how they are feeling. Because if you don't do it this way, what would the community say? What would the people say? What would that person down the road who you, have, who you never speak to, what if he says something? What if all these people find out that you've done this and you're living in this way now, or you've chose this as a career, or you're marrying this type of person? Why can't you just do it this way? And I know, and sadly, I know of people in families who have made harsh decisions on their own family members just so that they can keep their reputation. Their so-called reputation. I'm going to call it so-called reputation because they wanted to keep their reputation, because they didn't want to lose face in the community, not thinking about others, but only thinking about themselves. I know I'm quite strong on this, but I believe some of us need to hear this today. God has just, just put this on my heart quite strongly for today, even reminding me of some of the things that I, was, I have been part of, but I want to be very clear. To oppress someone or to punish someone because you want to keep your sense of reputation, that is not justice. It is not justice. It is not righteous. It is not good. If it's because you want to keep your reputation, then it is not just in God's eyes. As a people of God, we have to be careful about these things. When culture or reputation tries to trump what he wants us to do. When it tries to speak louder than what he is calling us to do. You see, God calls us to a higher standard, doesn't he? of love and grace, and therefore, first, compassion. First, show love, show grace. Don't think about your own reputation or reputation in communities, but actually think about what God would have you do. I love what it says in Philippians 2. Again, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 9, I believe, talks about the incarnation, Paul's perspective on the incarnation. And it's amazing how, how he just goes into that, script, that area of Scripture and just explains how Jesus came in human likeness. And he says this in verse 7, that Jesus made himself of no reputation. Well, if he makes himself of no reputation, what right do we have to try and make ourselves of our own reputation? Because God has shown us another way, a different way. 
Even though he was God, he made himself of no reputation. And thirdly, I'll invite the band up now. Thank you. We should be just like Joseph because we make room for God to do something extraordinary. You know, when we live righteous and seek to apply grace with truth, when we make decisions for compassion and we do things that are not self-serving, I believe God moves. God moves. You know, the angel comes and says to Joseph, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. You know, God comes into their situation on the back of that and clears both their names, in a sense. Now, some might not agree with this, but the way the narrative works is that it's interesting that God only intervened after Joseph had decided what he was going to do. I find that significant. And it's interesting. I don't know for sure, but I know generally, I can say generally, normally when we choose to do what is righteous, God moves. (laughs) He reveals more of himself. He reveals more of who he is. He shows us more of what we need to do. And that's who he is because he moves when we live righteously, I believe. See, Joseph, through this righteous act, he became the earthly father of Jesus. And Jesus would bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And I find it interesting that Joseph chose not to disgrace Mary publicly, to expose her publicly, as we read in our text. And it's interesting that that word, to expose or disgrace, in Matthew 1.19. It's only found in one other place in the New Testament, and it's only ever mentioned again in Colossians 2, verse 15. And I'm going to read verses 13 to 15 of that passage of Colossians 2. And it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, or by the cross is another translation. See, open shame is that same word as to publicly disgrace. And here it tells us that Jesus made a public spectacle, not of anyone, but of sin and the rulers and authorities in their heavenly places. What a powerful idea that is through the cross. You see, God could have exposed us for our sin, and he would have been justified in doing that. But instead, he hung out Jesus on the cross for us to expose the rulers and authorities that were behind sin so that we could be declared righteous today. What an amazing idea that is. What a powerful idea that is. That's the exposure that he was looking towards because he chose a different way, one of grace one of love, one that would declare us as right in his eyes through what Christ has done. And Joseph was to call him Jesus. Why? Because he would save his people from their sins. That's what it reminds me of today. He, he hasn't exposed me, although he could have, but he comes and exposes sin for what it was and triumphs over the enemy, exposing himself to shame, but at the same time bringing victory over sin. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, God. As we respond today, I'm just going to encourage us. I'm going to pray. Now, where you are, why don't we all stand together as a, as a people of God?
and respond to, to God today. You know, some weighty things been shared here, but maybe just come to God now and say, Lord, I want to live righteous. I want to be one that understands the importance of grace and truth. And maybe even come again and just say, Lord, afresh, help me to live in this. Where maybe I don't show compassion, but I think of myself, Lord, help me to be gracious. Lord, where sometimes I apply a, a, a remedy as a, re, as a reason to take action rather than grace, Lord, help me to see that there might be a bigger picture involved. The way you are, you just might want to invite Holy Spirit because it's through the Holy Spirit that we will grow in these things. Just say, Holy Spirit, help me to be more gracious. Help me to do things another way that you have shown me. Help me to choose the way that Christ chose, which is one of grace and mercy, which declared us to be righteous. The way you are now, why not respond to God how you need to? Invite Holy Spirit in, into those spaces and those places. Allow me to pray. Lord God, I thank you that we come here today and you, God, have declared us righteous through what you have done. And we thank you that, Jesus, you fulfill all righteousness today. And today, Lord, I pray in all of us, in all of our hearts, where we need to grow in grace and truth, and particularly in showing grace and compassion and not exposing people, but helping to, Lord, to cover people in a sense. Help us to grow in these things, Lord, every day. Lord, where grace has been limited because of our own sense of uh, reputation or entitlement, Lord, we say break down those strongholds today in the mighty name of Jesus. And Lord, we invite you in, Holy Spirit, to come and do a deep work within us, to show us a better way, a way that declares us as righteous in your sight through what you have done and a way that embodies who you've called us to be, to show grace and truth. So we say, come, Holy Spirit. Come and meet us where we are. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen.